Okay, hello everybody, today is Tuesday, and welcome to the first episode in a multi-part series on the Axeman of New Orleans. The Axeman was a serial killer that is quite similar to Jack the Ripper, quite similar to the Zodiac. However, the time frame is a little bit in the middle because Jack the Ripper was operating in 1888, and of course the Zodiac Killer was operating in 1968 and 69, and with both of those unknown serial killers, some people think that they were operating for much longer than that, and they only announced themselves to the public via a series of letters mailed in to the newspapers and taunts, perhaps even to the police. And then there are other people who think that there was no Jack the Ripper, there was no Zodiac Killer. They were media hoaxes that were perpetuated by people who worked at the newspapers, their theories in both of those cases. And with the New Orleans Axeman, it really is a very similar journey. First, I would like to give a shout out to Lolo, who recommended this topic. Lolo said that a multi-part series on the New Orleans Axeman would be very good to do around Halloween. And right now it is the month of September. And if you're listening to this at a different time of year, I think that it is still very relevant because the New Orleans Axeman has never been captured. And I would also like to give a shout-out to Walter and Playtime, because Walter just simply asked the question, where is Playtime lately? And that's just the secondary reason why I wanted to do this series, because Playtime was talking in the comments section about how the New Orleans Axeman is another example of yellow journalism, meaning that I think Playtime was leaning toward this being a media hoax. And there are conflicting theories. There are theories that are going to be in battle with each other. So let's look at some of the possibilities. And as you can see from this, this is totally an introduction. This is totally a part one. And we're really going back to just the early part of the 20th century, because as I've been going through sources in the introductory way as an absolute newcomer to this mystery, I was really having a difficult time finding out when the Axeman murders began, because if you were to get on Wikipedia, you might find something like it, the Axeman was operating between 1918 and 1919, but then once you get absolutely under the surface in even the smallest way, you'll see that many people, I repeat, many people believe that the New Orleans Axeman was a serial killer who operated well before 1918. I would like to go over to the website nolaghost.com, that's New Orleans Ghosts, and they have a segment here on the New Orleans Axeman. The Axeman of New Orleans is the nickname given to a person, a serial killer, that operated in New Orleans, Louisiana, and the surrounding counties, including that of Gretna. The dates are May 1918 to October of 1919. Justice was never served on the Axeman. He was never apprehended nor identified, and all the murders that bear his signature are cold cases. As the killer's name suggests, his victims were usually struck with an axe. Usually, we'll see that there's a different weapon involved. The weapon itself often belonged to the victim. The intruder would somehow sneak into the victim's house very deliberately with the stealth of a cat. Wow, what a sentence. With the stealth of a cat. Sneak up on his prey and strike. The axeman would make a bloody mess and then leave, a ghost, leave like a ghost in the night. The killer didn't rob his victims, nor did he assault them. Robbery wasn't a motivation. 
the bulk of the Axeman's victims were Italian immigrants, driving many to consider that the atrocities were ethnically motivated. And I want to stop right there because as I was learning about the Axeman, I just decided to get online and see what I could find. And I was talking recently about how I've been listening to a lot of true crime while I've been driving. I use YouTube Premium as one of the absolute best investments that I've ever made. And I can just download shows like you can download Black Box Online Radio if you so wish. Oh, also you can find it on Launchpad 1 for free. And I'm just listening to a program while I was driving. I got in touch with Most Notorious once again. I used to listen to this program back in the day, as you might say, and they had an interview on that channel with Miriam C. Davis, and I am so glad that this was the first episode that I downloaded about the New Orleans Axeman, because Miriam C. Davis is the author of what they described as the definitive authority on the New Orleans Axeman, and she even said in that interview that one of the reasons why she decided to write the book the Axeman of New Orleans, The True Story, once again by Miriam C. Davis, available on Amazon.com, is because she felt that there really wasn't, um, I guess you'd say just that, a definitive authority out there. You have lots of these sources that are online, and you have lots of YouTube videos, BuzzFeed has something out there, which I did not watch, because I am not a fan of any of the BuzzFeed true crime episodes, but I would like to go to her website, miriamghost.com, and look at the description that she has written for her book, The Axeman of New Orleans, The True Story. This is a true crime thriller, the story of a killer who stalked the streets of New Orleans in the early 20th century. The Axeman repeatedly broke into the homes of Italian grocers in the dead of night, leaving his victims in a pool of blood. Lorlando Giordano, an innocent Italian grocer, and his teenage son Frank were wrongly accused of one of the murders. Corrupt officials convicted them with coerced testimony. Only 30 years after Jack the Ripper walked the streets of Whitechapel, the Axeman of New Orleans held an American city hostage, and the book tells his story. So, some points that um, I heard Miriam C. Davis share in that most notorious interview is she believes the Axeman was operating well before 1918. We're talking at least 1910 or 1911. But at that time, the killer wasn't using an axe. She refers to those murders as the cleaver. And there is a very long gap before these 1918 murders. I mean, it's really operating in 19. 10, 1911, and then there's about a seven-year gap starting in 1918. And you might be wondering, like, well, why on earth would a serial killer have a six- or seven-year gap in their activity? And the simplest reasons are that somebody could have moved to a different town and continued their destructive tendencies there. And also, there could be the possibility, which Miriam Davis um, strongly put forward, that she thinks that he was incarcerated for a completely different crime, and then once he was let out, he began attacking people. Mostly, she seems to think that there is a connection to Italian grocers. I mean, what a thing. With Jack the Ripper, the targets are sex workers. With the Moonlight Murders and the Zodiac Killer, the targets are mostly Lover's Lane victims, with one exception in both the Moonlight Murders and the Zodiac Killer. Okay, Lover's Lane Murders, targeting sex workers, that's very normal behavior with serial killers. With the Axeman, targeting either Italian grocers or the family of Italian grocers, well, what exactly is going on with that? 
Um, I mean, and not only Italian, but she really wanted to emphasize in that most notorious interview that they are Sicilian. So ethnic discrimination, that is one theory that because the Sicilian immigrants or people of Sicilian descent would be darker in complexion than a lot of the northern Italian um, immigrants or just people from northern Italy in general would be fairer in complexion on average, on average. So there might have been some intense ethnic discrimination. And she was insisting that her theory is there's a single perpetrator that operated in the early part of that decade, that um, 1910 to 11 stretch thereabouts. I mean, it's really almost impossible to determine the beginning of this. And I'll say a big reason for that in a second. But then she thinks that there was one perpetrator who then went to jail for six or seven years, and then he, when he was released, he continued the same type of killings, and that truly becomes the New Orleans Axeman that we know about in 1918 and 1919. But I would like to uh, read off some of the names of the victims of the New Orleans Axeman, and you'll find that they aren't all Italian, actually. You have Joseph Maggio, you have his wife Catherine Maggio, Louis Bessemer, and then you have Harriet Lowe, Anna Schneider, Joseph Romano, Charles Cortamiglia, Rosie Cortamiglia, Mary Cortamiglia, Steve Boca, Sarah Lalman, Mike Pepitoni. Oh, there's a very big story about Mike Pepitoni, and because I mentioned his name, I will just share it right now, and to deviate from Miriam Davis's uh, uh, book and her um, interview that she had done. I was listening to the podcast 13 O'Clock, one that I hadn't heard in ages. You can find it on YouTube, the 13 O'Clock podcast, and they told the story about how Mike Pepitoni was married to a woman named Esther, and her last name, um, I believe she remarried after Mike Pepitoni passed away, and her name became Esther Albano, but that was the name of the uh, man that she had married. Anyway, his widow, Esther Albano, followed a suspect from the New Orleans Axeman murders named Joseph Mumphrey out to Los Angeles, and she killed him because there's this legend that maybe he confessed to being the New Orleans Axeman, and she killed him in revenge for murdering her husband. But, I mean, to give away some like type of ending, to, to have some type of true crime spoiler, which doesn't really exist... You might as well just put all the facts out with true crime, or at least share the things that I've heard in the introduction. They said they um, really wanted to backtrack, and there is no definitive record of that event ever happening. And some crime journalists have investigated that. They think it is a pure urban legend that the widow of Mike Pepitoni murdered the prime suspect in the New Orleans Axeman murders. But a big thing that Miriam Davis wanted to convey in her interview is she even introduced the New Orleans Axeman by saying that in the 1950s, there was an article published by a resident of New Orleans, a former newspaperman, if you will, and that everything that people know about the New Orleans Axeman today came from that one article. But the problem was that it was filled with um, half-truths, things that weren't completely accurate. Have you heard anything like that before? One definitive source, huh? Yeah, and then it turns out that a definitive source isn't so definitive. 
yeah, just uh, think of a publication or something. But and she went back and found a lot of the original news coverage and a lot of the um, original um, reports that had come out and found that this article from the 1950s wasn't very accurate. But she gives the writer the total benefit of the doubt, saying he was from New Orleans. He was like 10 years old at the time. He was probably just basing all of this off of his own memory of the events and, you know, the memory of a 10-year-old or just the memory of somebody even 40 years after the fact, whatever age they are, unless they're like some type of savant isn't going to be 100% perfect. Okay, I can follow what she's saying, but um, some people might accuse that person of just blatantly fabricating it. That brings us to a theory that we will explore in this series. Is this a media hoax? Now, you might be wondering, well, who committed the murders? If you just look up the New Orleans Axeman, you'll see that six people were murdered in the crime spree that took place from 1918 to 1919, and then six other people were injured. Well, who on earth committed those crimes, and how could this be a media hoax? Furthermore, how could there be a crime spree taking place in the earlier part of that decade, and then that is going to be a very similar set of crimes which Miriam Davis believes is the same perpetrator. How could that still be a media hoax? And who would be responsible for that? Because let's not have any gray area. Real people are being attacked. I don't dispute that, and I don't think anyone is intended to dispute that. But who would be going after Italian grocers, Italian businessmen? How about organized crime? A very specific sect of organized crime. Sometimes you, I've heard the name the Black Hand used in these uh, discussions, just looking at some other YouTubers, and I will cite one in just a second. But that's it, though, that they were targeted because of reasons of organized crime. It's quite similar to the theory about how a gang is responsible for these crimes, and then the media is trying to make everybody think that it's one person. The newspapers are trying to make it seem like there's just this maniac on the loose, when in reality people are getting murdered because of other reasons, and the media is just kind of lying through their teeth or lying with the pen and so on. So that is one aspect of the Axeman hoax theory. And the other theory is that there are two perpetrators that this early set of crimes, particularly the Cleaver crimes, was somebody else, and that in 1918, 1919, there was a single perpetrator, and these are just two different serial killers. Now, to the credit of the 13 o'clock podcast, they did put forward something that I think is kind of in favor of a hoax theory in this, and that is that these crimes happened much more frequently than you would expect. They brought up the very, a very clear example of how in 1913 in San Antonio, Texas, a family was attacked by an axe man. I mean, not in the state of Louisiana at all, definitely not anywhere near New Orleans, yet this just happened again. Then you get to the 1920s, and they talked about a similar serial killer called the Atlanta Ripper, who was also attacking people in a similar way. And they even brought up a very, um, a kind of related crime in the area that began in 1909. So that's what I said. Like I've had, I've had no luck at all trying to figure out the exact origin of the alleged Axeman crimes. But to um, 
have a very simple introduction to this because this is an introductory episode. Six people were dead. Six people were injured during the crime spree from May 23rd, 1918 to October 27th of 1919. And I was watching the YouTuber Eleanor Neal for a very odd reason. I got on her channel because I simply wanted to find an episode about the New Orleans Axeman that was about 50 minutes long to an hour, and everything was either two hours long or 20 minutes long, and I'm like, I want more than 20 minutes, but I don't have time for two hours. And I saw Eleanor Neal's channel. I've, I'd seen one or two of her videos before, and I normally don't like it when um, some people are just approaching the um, cases with a little bit too much silliness, but she actually did pretty well in this one. I'm sure you've seen some of those YouTubers. Hello, welcome back to my channel. Normally I talk about makeup, but today we're going to talk about true crime. Glitter. Yeah, okay, whatever, but um, no, she actually did a solid presentation, but she brought up something that was very, very honest when she said, there's a story of this serial killer that operated in New Orleans in the early part of the 20th century, and she said she didn't even think that he was real. She thought that he was some type of, just like an urban legend or something like Bloody Mary or something like that, or maybe um, people have like some ghost stories or something that this um, phantom is going to hurt you. But no, there definitely were real crimes that took place. And I think that... Um, this is going to be a hard one to talk about, because even if you get on Wikipedia, you can see that it even says press reports during the height of the public panic about the killings mentioned similar murders as early as 1911. And when I said those are called the Cleaver crimes, that is a set of murders that took place where somebody was stealing cleaver knives, like a butcher's cleaver. Someone is stealing those, definitely not using his own because other people are reporting them stolen, breaking into people's houses, and then attacking them. And then Miriam Davis interviewed a psychologist who created a profile of this New Orleans Axeman and says there is a very, very low chance that these cleaver killings that happened or maybe 1911, but thereabouts could actually is this the same person is what she's asking him and he said absolutely yes the odds of this being a different person using this same method are almost it's astronomically low now i don't know what this guy was smoking who this psychologist was she didn't say in the interview on most notorious but I mean, that person needs to go back to Psych 101 if they're going to think that two people or these two sets of crimes have to be from the same person just because there is the same method involved. Think about everything I just said about what was shared on the 13 o'clock podcast about a similar crime happened in San Antonio, Texas. Similar crimes happened in Georgia. And to the credit of 13 o'clock, they also pointed out that Another crime even happened in Colorado, very similar, where someone breaks into somebody's home and attacks a family with an axe. These things were actually much more frequently occurring than people gave them credit for. So that still doesn't rule out the possibility of two perpetrators, or even a single perpetrator. But if you're listening to this, and you've made it this far, and you probably have been wondering about what is the connection to the New Orleans Axeman and jazz? Because 
that I think is the most famous thing is that the New Orleans Axeman was a serial killer that said he was going to go on a kill rampage and target any home that was not playing jazz. And I'll just read that here, this um, section. On March 13, 1919, a letter purporting to be from the Axeman was published in newspapers saying that he would kill again at 15 minutes past midnight on the night of March 19th, but would spare the occupants of any place where a jazz band was playing. That night, all New Orleans dance halls were filled to capacity and professional and amateur bands played jazz at parties and at hundreds of houses around town. There were no murders that night. Now, uh, Miriam Davis talked about this, saying that there were people that definitely just thought it was a hoax. or just, They thought the person was lying. It's an empty threat. Not everyone actually went along with this the way that it's posted online. But let's read the letter that the New Orleans Axeman allegedly sent in. Hottest Hell, March 13th, 1919. Esteemed mortal of New Orleans, the Axeman. They have never caught me, and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. Oh, for fuck's sake, this, that's not a... <laughs> Damn, Jack the Ripper rip off. He ripped off the Ripper. What a douchebag. I am what you know, lo, New Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe besmeared with blood and brains of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not amuse me but his satanic majesty Francis Joseph, etc. But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it were better that they were never born in to occur the wrath of the Axeman. I don't think there is any need of such a warning, for I feel sure the police will always dodge me, as they have in the past. They are wise, and they know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you Orleonians will think of me as the most horrible murderer which I am. But I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay you a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens and the worst. For I am in a close relationship with the Angel of Death. And um, not only Jack the Ripper, but just yesterday on the channel when I was doing the Zodiac Mondays episode... I was reading off of a comparison between the Zodiac Killer and the Anthrax Killer, and of course we should say the prime suspect in the Anthrax killings because uh, the guy was never convicted, he committed suicide, Bruce Evans. However, I, when I read that one off, it even says how in the past he had referred to himself as like an angel or angel of death or something similar. This also seems to be something that is consistent among these homicidal types. But um, I do have a lot of thoughts to say about this, so let's just keep going, because there's another part of the letter. Now, to be exact, at 12.15, earthly time, on next Tuesday night, I'm going to pass over New Orleans in my infinite mercy. I'm going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing. 
I just have mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well then, so much better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is some of your people who do not jazz it out. What? You asshole. Those who do not jazz it out will get the axe. Oh my gosh. I mean, even if this is a prank, this person is so unbelievably pathetic. Dear Lord. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my natives... Tartarus, it is about time I leave your earthly home, and I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this. It may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed, either in fact or the realm of fancy, the Axeman. Wow, what a long letter. I mean, that makes some of the Zodiac Killer's letters look just like absolute, um like a cakewalk or something like that, or they're really just snippets. The Zodiac Killer was more like, I saw and think The Exorcist was the best satirical comedy ever. P.S. If I don't see this note in the paper, I'll do something nasty. Okay, well, you know, let's just let's kind of move on and just say a literary reference and over and done with. Well, this person was rambling onward. And I told you that um, I heard that interview with Miriam Davis. And even though I didn't memorize the whole thing, I was really paying attention to what exactly her theory was. And I said she believes that there was a single serial killer operating in the early part of the second decade in the 20th century. And then that person went to jail for maybe six or seven years. When they were released from jail, then they continued killing. And then that's when we actually have this New Orleans axe murder stretch that goes from 1918 to 1919, that that is a real serial killer. She doesn't believe any type of hoax theory, single perpetrator theory, not even two people, to the best of our knowledge. But I was waiting for just a dose of skepticism based on how inconsistent all this is. I mean, even when someone is introducing a subject by saying that, Okay, well, everything we know about the Axeman is from this article that was published in the 1950s, written by some guy who's going off of his childhood memory. Well, aren't you just a little bit skeptical? Where is the healthy dose of skepticism in her research? And it came with that letter, and she absolutely thought that that letter was a hoax, mostly because the Axeman is breaking into people's homes, hitting people in the face with an axe, literally, and he just seemed like such a brutish, unsophisticated, well, scumbag, and that letter was so elegant. Yes, it's a blatant Jack the Ripper knockoff. I mean, it is even just almost plagiarizing the From Hell letter. Yeah, okay, some things have been morphed and paraphrased into, into his own language, but like how the Jack the Ripper From Hell letter begins with From Hell at the top, and then um, that's like the introductory phase, and the New Orleans Axeman letter began with Hottest Hell, and then gives the date. So, I'm definitely seeing some inspiration there, but... Yes, um, there, I'll say some things about Miriam Davis's theory as to who wrote the letter, because she has an individual suspect for writing the letter, and... What I wanted to do with this Axeman series is, I didn't want to get bogged down on the suspects, because I did that with the Zodiac Killer mystery. 
I wanted to begin with the suspect list and just talk about, okay, I think this about this guy and this about that guy. This person has a theory and that person has a theory. That is ineffective. That's the reason why Black Box Online Radio has over a thousand episodes now is because you just go person after person. Okay, how about this guy? Nope. How about that guy? Nope. Okay, well, how about uh, two guys? Nope. And it just goes on and on and on and on. So with the um, New Orleans Axeman, in, in terms of an introduction, I wanted to find out first, is the hoax theory credible? And it seems like it's perhaps going to be even more credible than the Ripper hoax or the Zodiac hoax. And secondly, is the single perpetrator theory credible? I definitely think that it's possible. Now this... um. This letter, though, I mean, it, this utterly ridiculous, pathetic, pompous, windbag, piece of garbage letter is um, most likely not from the killer. But I'm open to being persuaded. They have never caught me. They never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible. Even as the aether that surrounds your earth, I am not a human, but a spirit and a demon from the hardest hell. No, you're not. You're an attention-seeking little bitch. Jesus Christ. But, um, no, no, somebody put a lot of effort into being annoying in that letter. Well, anyway, um, as we explore this material, there are conflicting theories. Not everyone is in agreement. A lot of people are going to be saying that they have a suspect, and then you're going to find out that the reasons why they have their suspect is simply because since 1918 and 1919, the media perceptions around this are clogged and they're filled with stories that aren't necessarily true. As I said, the one about how the, um, the man's widow went out to California and she murdered the prime suspect. I mean, it really is quite fascinating to hear about how that could just be an absolute piece of fiction that has been incorporated into the lore. But I would just share one thing in conclusion. 1918 was the end of World War I. World War I is mostly 1914 to 1918. And just because somebody was gone for six years, and just because the killing stopped from the cleaver to the axe man, okay, that's just what we're going to call the early murders, that could also have something to do with the military. Somebody could have um, been either in jail in the military or also both. And a lot of people back in those days, even throughout various parts of the 20th century, had the opportunity to go to jail or even join the military. I mean, I knew someone who just said that he had, you know, his, um, what was it, his grandfather or something like that was given that opportunity in World War One. He, um, he assaulted somebody and their choices were like, you either go overseas to Europe and and join the war, or you're going to jail. I also have talked about the Zodiac Killer suspect Frank Dryman Valentine on this channel. He was given the same the choices, and the reason why he adopted the name Frank Valentine as an alias is because he had to either go to jail or join the military. It happens a lot, and with the U.S. involvement in World War One, maybe somebody was in jail for a while and went overseas. We have no idea. And it really is quite um, a mystery. 
But the long story short is, I know that this was an enormous, rambling, jumbled, mishmashed, <laughs> not even the most um, well-programmed episode. However, I just wanted to share with you guys the sources that I had listened to, and that there is a single perpetrator theory, two perpetrator theory, and a hoax theory. Which one is it? Thank you for listening to this, and please look out for part two. All right, that's all for me now. I'll try to be more organized in the future. And you can always check out Amazon.com for a copy of the book Killer on a White Horse by me, a novel. It's a murder mystery, totally fictional, but still, feel free to give it a read. And then you can also go over to the Teespring page, BlackBoxNid88 on Instagram. And I'll see you over there for the bonus podcast. Until next time.